0: Hi everyone, I'm Carlene Jackson and I'm Zoe England. Thanks for listening to Marketing Decanted for SMEs, the podcast from Cloud9Insight created to be an essential guide to small business marketing. On today's episode, we're talking to Gary Cole. He's the MD of Lumilinks, and he has many years of experience working with established businesses and is strongly focused on data and data science. Gary helps businesses put their data to work using automation and optimization for business success. He joins us today to talk about why you should care about your business's data and how you can use it to influence your marketing strategy. Thanks for joining. Enjoy the episode.
1: Hi Zoe, how are you today? Okay, so um, so this week I'm delighted to welcome
2: Gary Cole. Hi all, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the show.
1: We are very welcome. So, what's your area of of expertise, Gary?
0: Marketing, in my experience, is really quite broad. What would be your mastermind subject in marketing?
2: Yeah, so um, uh, at Lumalinks, we've we've got a term saying that we help organisations turn AI from hype to reality, and. Part of our work is that we class ourselves as a science-based business. The reason we don't use the word data science is because it kind of has a connotation that you need lots of data and it's simply not true. Science has got the ability to use small amounts of data and make that data really relevant for people. So we've got a number of use cases in different sectors, but in marketing particularly, we help organisations find a, uh, a source of truth and that source of truth is all around data relevance. So you don't need hundreds of different data points you don't need to collect this or have this big data philosophy or data transformation what you need to do is understand uh, your organization's goals and where and what goals you want to achieve as an organization and we match the data to that and obviously bring those kind of skills with different methodologies and and i can i can talk to you uh, all day about the difference and, and why the sense of, of some people can get it really wrong and some people can get it really right. And I think you can see that in today's economy where businesses are are growing super fast or or they can become stagnant or, or old businesses become unrelevant.
1: So Gary, that sounds fascinating. Perhaps you can tell us a bit more about your marketing journey uh, and how you got to where you are today working in this field.
2: Yeah, great. So I was working, uh, as you already mentioned, with uh, with Rackspace uh, and and a few other managed service uh, providers in the cloud, I actually was working with one of my clients and who uh, work in global shipping. And I came across my now business partner, uh, Dr. Tim Dry, showed me a project they're working on. And it was absolutely fascinating what they could do that really stepped this business forward. Um, ahead of all their competitors. And so we we had a conversation and it was actually at that conversation that I decided uh, with him to form LumaLinks. And the work we've been doing in marketing, uh, particularly is around how to enable businesses to understand the difference between uh, influence and advocacy, as well as a methodology called causal inference, which is understanding how objects interconnect and therefore we help people with the likes of their best route to market, sponsorship, uh, the effects of global sponsorship or local sponsorship and, you know, really understanding, I suppose, human behavior. And when I say human behavior, I always look at people as groups of individuals rather than individuals. You have a lot of people in marketing today who really want to target individuals, you know, with their data and those type of scenarios and messaging to those people. Whereas sometimes if you actually stand back and look at the trends of behavior, you can become you can see some really powerful things really fast. As far to give you an example, one that everyone will relate to, in the situation that happened with COVID nineteen, we saw a trend happen really fast where people were working in an office place, and then all of a sudden we were working at home. Now the commercial opportunities in that are fast, as well as the waste potential, you know, if you had sponsorship running in the centre of London over that time, you probably would have been a bit regretting of your uh, of your choice. But obviously, it's something that we just couldn't have foreseen. And now I think the bit that hopefully that we do for our clients is actually we help them understand sometimes in really small engagements, how you can spot those trends of behavior and how you can really utilize them. And hopefully I'll give you a few examples as we go through the talk today. so
1: the focus of this episode is how how to make data sexy so you you've took there's a lot of information in there, Gary, so do you want to tell us why businesses should care about their data and and how we can get excited about it
2: yeah no you've now you've given me a really big challenge there how' do you how do you make data sexy um, <laughs> that's, quite, that's quite a tough one. I think that first of all and i I think that with these things you always can start with a bit of controversy. I'd, I'd say right now is everyone should stop buying data. You know, there's countless amounts of businesses that I speak to. There's normally two things that I hear. My data is in a mess. And you know what? I bought data or I brought someone in to do data. And, and it's, it's just not relevant. Sales guys can't use it. My marketing team don't understand it. You know, there's just too much of it. And I think that if you can move past that type of um, scenario where there is clearly a skills gap, you can actually get into something that's 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 actually quite exciting. And if you actually understand, starting from your own business objectives, if you can understand the things that make your business go faster, that produce waste, you know, and get you in front of your next client, that it does well, I don't know about sexy, but it certainly becomes more relevant. Um and people get quite excited about the fact of really having insight that they just didn't see was possible beforehand. So yes, I suppose if I if I offer any kind of point to say that why you should worry about data, you know, and not necessarily because of the big headlines like you know the BBC talking about, Gartner talking about, you know, the fact that you've got something like you know a hundred years ago the average life of a company on the SP 500 was sixty seven years, and I'm quoting as you can probably tell from the tone change, but I think everyone knows that big companies grow extremely fast these days and you don't see this historical nature of businesses and if you have genuine ambitions and I know that a lot of the I mean, businesses all the time that have got ambitions to become a you know international business and I think if you've got those ambitions the bit that's really good about data is that if you get it right it can really enable you to rocket you to you know to places where you probably only dream your business can go in a very short time if I give you one example being able to know we worked with an insurance company and they spent quite a lot of money on data exactly the two first statements spent a lot of money we, we don't really use the data we've bought and our data is in a bit of a mess so it's hard to understand you know they had they had one person in house that they called an analyst and i think in their, their own right they probably wouldn't have said they're an analyst basically using a visualization tool and what we were able to do with them in a very short time was to be able to to get four data sources that were all open source. So it didn't cost them anything for that data. The only thing they paid for was our time. We were able to bring those data sources into one source of truth. It basically told them they were a specialist insurance company looking for people on floodplains, thatched houses, grade two listings, those type of buildings. We were able to, in a very short space of time, put those into a marketing tool for them they then had a a list of every postcode they needed to go after for them one to many type marketing so if they're going to do google advertising if they're going to drop leaflets through a door they had every single postcode that was relevant they had it in a propensity order so they knew which which area was more likely to buy their services than not so what where to start on that list and they were able to then increase their marketing efficiency by 40% over what they were currently doing they're able to increase the areas where they put their sales or opened up pop-up shops. All those type of things are being at, are actually at your fingertips. And all that data, like I say, was just open sourced on the internet. And I think that I think that one of the things that data enables you to do is get in this really exciting place. Um, in quite a short space of time.
0: So Gary, if you're starting out as uh, in marketing as an SME business owner or you're new in marketing, um, what sort of data should, um, whether you're a B2B or a B2C business, what sort of data do you think already exists in the business of that a marketeer should be using.
2: Yeah, great, good question. So I suppose there's two things that I always start with is one look at your activity data. So what activity are you doing both manually and automated, you know, so are you serving ads at the moment? Have you got sales team speaking? And then also your sales data. So understanding what good looks like in your business. And you know, being a, a Microsoft partner ourselves, you know, we've Microsoft have got a good segmentation tool. Uh, if you're just starting out in business, it might be a bit too uh, rich for you at first, cost prohibitive. They're you know engaging with people like us or, or other tools and actually make sure that you understand you segment out of your current clients. I think that once you put that segmentation together and you understand what good looks like for you, I think that it gives you a, then a wealth of of possibilities in the sense of do you need to enrich it with external data? You know if you are selling. And specialist product sets. You know there are data sets out there that you can just bring in and use. And I think that if you can, I suppose, align your uh, your company objectives to your internal data sets and any the external data, that's the that's the best place to start.
1: That's great. Uh, I, I guess it's all quite in depth, isn't it? It's trying to bring it back up to. Uh... To, to a, a, I guess, a, a layman's term. So I guess it'd be good to know sort of top tips for starting out. If everyone's sort of talking about AI, um, where do you start, Gary, in simple terms?
2: Yeah. So if I demystify the term AI, a big part of the the term is it's, it's been very media hyped in the sense of there's some tools coming to the market. But if you take the two areas in my mind that AI describes in in this general form, is the ability to create recommendations. For you to use so i this is the place for you to go put your advertising this is the people that you should go speak to and then you add to that recommendations automation so i at loom links we've got a tool that will connect to your dynamics it will tell you what good looks like and it'll automate your advertising into linkedin very cheap as a tool it's basically taking those two things put together how do you take recommendations I.e., this is what Moving from my gut, and a lot of marketing is done on gut feel.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: you know, this is what I should be going to do. And this is, this is a way that I can go do it and I can do it at quite a low cost. Now, those type tools should always have a return of investment. And one of the things that I'd say, again, as a top tip, and I call it no means to offend any good reputable marketers and agencies out there, or even Google, Facebook, the likes, is there's a dark art in marketing. And people can waste huge sums of money on ineffective advertising campaigns. So, there's a point that I always talk about. It's called last click attribution. So, for me, any agency that's worth its salt will move past last click. So, they'll present you a report of your, you know, whether it's £100 or £10,000, whatever you've spent on marketing, advertising that month. They should say, yes, we got X amount of click throughs from. Uh, Google, for example, let's use that. But why did they click? That's the ultimate question that you need to understand. Because no, no amount of clicks or downloads actually fulfills a sale. Um, what you need to do is is to start understanding the persona of your bot and therefore where they, you know, why they click through to you. And then if they don't convert to a sale, that's something that you should immediately action and stop. Because again, there's a lot of um, metrics that are floated around that actually that actually tell you that things are going really well and they don't actually result in in a sale and that's ultimately what marketing is around. Now don't be wrong I'm a massive believer in different stages of a buying cycle. So therefore you don't just have to look at last click attribution, i.e. where are people entering my site from? And one of the, the things that we talk about often is if I take again a theoretical situation, imagine that you have Fifty leads that have clicked through from an advertising on. I'll use Google again, and they've come to your website. And let's say that cost you five hundred pounds. Now, if you spent a thousand pounds, does that mean that fifty leads would turn to to a thousand leads? You know, and and often that's not the case. Effectively, what you then got to understand is what actually made that the, the behaviour of that person then click through to my link is it because they saw my webinar or my podcast or is it because they saw my billboard you know or is it because actually they saw my email campaign or my leaflets you know there is a there's a whole cycle of activity and understanding human behavior is a really important part of that now again i think that you can go really deep and actually that then uh, becomes something that you that you actually aren't able to uh, to have a big enough team to support and look at those type of things. And that's where organizations like mine in LumaLinks try and help businesses. Again, you know, it doesn't just because it's quite um sophisticated doesn't mean it has to cost lots of money. Um yeah, it might be might be interesting. I, I certainly find it fascinating when you talk about human behavior and maybe I can give you a little more detail on that next.
0: I love the idea of just joining up the whole Sort of journey and looking at different touch points. Sometimes you hear it's twenty-one touch points before somebody makes a decision. So it must be really hard as a marketer to look back at all of your marketing investment and say, "Yes, it was that one thing." I guess in reality, it it is probably a collection of of different things. Out of interest, you talk about advocacy and influence. Can you tell us a little bit more in your world what each of those means and and what to think about as an SME?
2: Yeah, brilliant. So. Effectively, it's a really fascinating subject. If you imagine three character types, and there, there are lots more, but if we we ground them into into three, you've got an, a group called advocates, a group called influencers, and you've got the mass market. that Follows that. So, if we just take for the for the purpose of this this conversation, advocates form about seventeen percent of the population, influencers form about twenty three percent of the population, and the mass market informs the the remaining sixty. And again, if there's there's any psychologists listening, you know, forgive me for the for the broad term, but it's roughly correct in the purpose of this conversation. So I suppose if you if you imagine an influencer first, so they normally sit in the centre of a social circle. They're motivated by the latest technology or something that's real interest, or they're motivated by cost reduction. So these are the group of the population that respond to marketing more than anyone else because they're naturally curious. So they're looking for a good deal. Now, uh, there's always a race to the bottom in the sense of as a product becomes commoditized. And so people always kind of give back 20 30% discounts. And so it's, a, it's an influencer that will be particularly um, likely to, to click and take up that type of offer. Because they sit in the center of a social circle, they want to be able to tell their friends about the great deal that they've got or the, the latest iWatch. But then there are also the people that, will, that don't have huge brand loyalty. So when the Samsung equivalent product comes out, they'll move away from me. Um, or the next competitor offers a 40% you know discount opposed to your 30%. they will move. They won't stick around. So they are important and they are a good bunch of personas to target. But you've got to make sure that that's more short-term marketing in that type of scenario, and and you, you're probably looking at you know at least three stages of engagement. Then you've got the mass market, you know. So what they you know this is the group everyone really wants. The you know the famous book Crossing the Chasm. How do you get from you know an early stage startup to, to into the mass market? These guys love case studies. They love looking at. You know, they love hearing that someone else someone's already treaded the ground. So they can be influenced by influencers and hence why the approach that marketers have been taking, because they get a response from influencers, and then the message can pass on to the mass market. But the biggest group that can affect the mass market are advocates. Now, if I ask everyone to think about if they were gonna go buy a car, do they have a friend that they'd go get advice from? Or you know, it could be anything, a guitar. Um, an online learning course you know a watch you know there's there's always like that guy that you know that girl that you know that has deep knowledge of one particular subject and that's the point of advocacy is that if you're going to market to an advocate is that you have to educate them you have to tell them why you're better in that sense and then once you get those people they're going to be they're going to be a lot more potent than an influencer or the mass market to produce referrals. So, if you find a company that wants to actually work on referrals, advocates are the persona that they really want to target. So, the difficulty with advocates is they will only buy from you when they are ready, when they've understood. There's something called the mantelpiece effect, which basically is being able to inform them, and they've got then this piece of knowledge, whether it be be physical or or virtual. They put it on their mantelpiece. So they go, "Right, well, when I need to buy." a new car or dishwasher or whatever that be, I know where to go to find my information. And therefore they can talk about your product or service with a lot more passion because they've looked it in depth. And when you come back to the social circle that the influencer sits on the middle of, actually the advocates normally sit on the edge of social circles. Doesn't mean that they're reclusive or anything along those kind of lines. What it basically means is they've probably moved around in different social circles, whether it's they've moved from their hometown whether they're uh, uni groups or sports clubs, they've tried different things and therefore they're normally looking for attention. They're normally in multiple sets of communication. And that makes it really powerful because you can cross social circles and therefore you can get your product or service known with someone that's going to talk quite passionate about your product rater. And we and you genuinely can see that in the data, by the way. So we've got an algorithm that can spot out because you'll actually see, you know, kind of sales pop up different parts of the country, you know, and it won't necessarily be because you've worked there. And you know, again, I think that I think any business, well, the majority of businesses, you know, they having a strong advocacy in your client base can only be a really, really good thing for you.
0: Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, I think advocacy is is a growing trend for organisations who are looking to increase their. Brand awareness. Your existing clients can often be some of the best people to work with. Out of interest, in it, many of our clients are actually in professional services firms uh, or a B two sort of B two B environment. What would your advice be to SME business owners to in, embrace these ideas, and and how does how should that influence their marketing
2: strategy? Yeah, so I think the first thing, and I'm starting quite high level, um, so hopefully that that works for for for, the, for our listeners. The the first thing is to understand where you want to be in, the, in your data journey. How important is data to you? You know, what is your objective as a, as a business in that sense? And do you believe that you can make investment into data? Um, because I think that it, it's, not one of those, it's, it's one of those things that you kind of have to, you have to continue. You have to, again, I use the term data relevance, is some organizations can sometimes, you know, they, they'll put some investment into data. The activity will stop. You know, they, they would have just had a consultant that came in and produced a report or they would have had a they've got a small team, you know, uh, that's just an analyst in that sense. And you have to understand what level of investment you're willing to take. If you believe that actually data can make a transformation in your business, the first thing I'd say is probably look up something that will take no more than four five to 10 minutes research, something called the analytics adoption curve. And it basically talks through the fact of what you can, the stages you can go through, which is hindsight, insight, which is where majority of people stop and then prescriptive. So that's the kind of when you get to recommendations and when you start needing, basically going past visualization of your data into using kind of automation. And therefore that produces recommendations in the sense of the data is saying X or Y. And then it's obviously important around the quality of the methodologies and those type of things but particularly if you're a small business you shouldn't need to worry about the level of um the level of detail there again kind of an, an ashamed plug i hope doesn't mind it's organizations like us that in loom links we've got a wealth of those type of people um, that you can tap into for just a few hours or, or longer or just a project or an ongoing basis and actually provide that type of resource to them You know, particularly in B two B, I've seen mentioned it earlier on on, in the talk today is that I see so many businesses wasting money buying lists, just ineffective. You know, but actually, it's like, well, what do I do? How do I reach these people? And I think that getting someone to help you understand on that journey, you know, how you get that message and actually whether it's effective, can cost the same as you buying in that data. You know, a few thousand pounds to get a good understanding of how data can be relevant for me is a lot better investment because again you're you're buying in the skills opposed to just out of you know out of out of date data, which to be perfectly honest, you can get a lot better, you know, for, for free out there on on the internet if you know where to look. So my yeah, my one advice is without doubt, stop buying data and start looking at skills. And just remember that just like any other skill, data particularly, is we're still very new in the journey of data. And there are huge differences between the, between the role types in data. You know, someone being able to visualize data, uh, we always call them the artist, is a really, really important role. Even though it's probably uh, less skilled than some of the data scientists that are using Python code and those type of things to do the work, actually it's the analyst that can, that can paint the picture and help the rest of the business understand it. So, you know, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a wealth of places to go. And again, it's a topic that I really like talking about, so I'm... Trying not to go in too much in depth, but happy to talk to anyone about it. And another point.
1: So that's that's fascinating, and I, I could probably talk to you all day about uh, the differences, different roles uh, around data. Um, certainly, you've highlighted a few different roles I wasn't aware of from what you've just talked about. Um, so I'd be keen to understand what trends you see going forward, particularly for SMEs. Do you see them having their own in-house data um, skills, or ha- how do they go about? sort of on this journey working with someone like yourselves.
2: Yeah, so I, I, I see it as um as a progressive journey again. I think that like most skills when if you go back to big data or cloud that you know the people are massively adopting at first the skill shortage the cost is is quite high and then eventually the skills are, uh, are more are more widespread and therefore the, the cost comes down. And I think that majority of of SMEs today particularly Early stage um, businesses don't need to bring that team in-house. They can engage with someone uh, and not put someone on their payroll. And I think majority of the working data is, is done in advance. So pairing it, sourcing any new outsourced data sets. And then there's only a small kind of, I suppose, cost or time effort to actually maintain it. And it's only then progression. Um, but that then is aligned to, to business success. And we've worked with some some global Banks, cybersecurity companies, and to really small startups, and I'm, you know, talking, you know, month one, month two, in that type of space, you know, and I think that the thing for my team, I know we always find a fascinating project probably more interesting than commercially viable, and I have to then steer a lot of my data science team into uh, back into the, into the world of actually we need to make sure that you know one that the work we do is is financially viable for the client. You know, we, we can we can change someone's pay-per-click efficiencies by thirty, forty percent in a in a really small time. We can help someone understand whether they should place a billboard in, you know, Canary Wharf, which nearly every case that we've done so far is always no, by the way. Actually, the majority of times pacing it on train lines between, you know, uh commute journey, obviously pre-COVID, was a lot more effective. Um so we can make sure that you that you don't waste money and you know there is a uh, a dark art in marketing of you know people clicking on your website several thousand times because actually they're trying to increase your clicks because you're paying them by clicks in in those type of senses so yeah I, I think that the there's a lot of there's a lot of things that can be done to make sure that you're efficient in the sense of how you spend your marketing the decision is always you know do you want to take a data-led approach and and particularly even as a data uh, organization that I like to class us you know we're we're only a couple of years old um, in our tenure and I think that you know knowing how busy it is to run a startup data can sometimes can sometimes be a secondary consideration because you're always chasing your tail and trying to make sure that your clients are happy and you've got the next uh, opportunity ahead of you I think that the, the big thing is is this gives you the ability to ref, reflect um, at pace and I think that one of the things that you know, Microsoft are talking about at the moment a lot uh, is around trust, um, trust in the sense of, of trusting the data that you've got access to, trust in the sense of trusting the providers that are helping you um, understand. But I've seen a huge amount of decisions being made that we then come into based on wrong data. And that can waste, you're talking, you know, depending on how many employees you've got, you know, tens, hundreds, you know, even a, thousands of hours of of time and then huge amounts of resort resources I've genuinely spoke to in this last year big and small companies that have spent tens of thousands of pounds a month on campaigns that haven't worked I've spoke to organizations that have brought in huge consultancy type businesses and these are you know some of the biggest companies in the UK bringing in some of the biggest consultants and I'm sure everyone can work out the who they are then, the consultants, I mean, and they've got nothing at the end of this process because it's been taken as a, this kind of data transformation type process. And I think that if you, you can actually move a lot of that away by getting a really good source of truth in your data and everyone being able to access that for reporting so that everyone's understanding and singing off the same hymn sheet. As, as a you know Dynamics user myself, you know, dynamics, I think, is a great way to be able to, to start that. Now, and again, not worrying about the fields and those type things. You know, if you do need the source of truth and actually you do need that data, you know, it's the kind of thing that if you've got a good reporting structure in place, you can actually, you can understand that you need that data. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, we can go enrich and resource, you know, um, that that type of data, or actually you just understand that you've got to deal with it and fill it in. Um, as you go forward, and I think that's the that's the point is that to look at data. Yes, historical data is is worthwhile having. It's great because it can show us trends. But you know, the startup that we dealt with, which was around uh, horse racing, you know, they started with with pretty much no data. You know, and it was amazing what we could do in you know in just a couple of months in enabling them to understand one how they should market, um, and two how they make decisions about their spending and which marketing for me is is all about. It's about putting your resource in the right place at the right time.
0: That's that's great advice, um, Gary. One thing that you mentioned earlier on in, in just now is that the need to outsource some aspects of your marketing, and I've definitely found that myself with my business, that um, it's undertaking sort of an investment in marketing has really opened my eyes that actually there's so many different areas and in fact that's one of the reasons we were inspired to do this podcasting series because no one person can know it all and um, I think that more and more organizations are realizing that yes you can't as a, and as an SME you can't possibly have the size of team that you need for all the different specialities but if, if you were an SME and you did no marketing today you're coming out of uh, the other side of this pandemic and um, the sort of the a picture where the the economy is starting to show seeds of growth and they're thinking yeah maybe marketing is for me i really need to get build up my pipeline build my brand awareness what would be your top tips for starting out in marketing um just if you're looking to hire somebody um what skills would they have and which bits would make sense to
2: outsource as well yeah it's 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 a great question and one that i that i am um checking myself that i'm not just led by my own beliefs is that i genuinely think that the number one thing to do before you do any marketing is understanding what good looks like i i for one have have wasted money based on using creating a brief and then and then getting that brief back and it's just unusable or spending some money on 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 something that's not usable I think that if you can understand what good looks like for you, whether that's through your own data because you've got some data to look at, or whether you're just starting day one from fresh and then understanding actually, well, if you if you take back a certain amount of logic, you can understand then how that that then transpires. So I think that if I was if I and and I'm shamedly plugging myself again, um, but I think that the two things that you can do for simply a few hundred pounds is be able to to create a connection into your, your own data and then feed that out into a LinkedIn or on, you know, a Shopify, you know, um, data in that sense from a B2C perspective and understanding that those things don't cost huge amounts of money. And again, I think that that, that can take out a huge, huge amount of your cost. Understanding what good looks like, that should then include what your addressable marketing is uh, without having to need to spend, you know, to ten thousand pounds on someone providing a list of what that addressable market is. If you can understand those things, I think that you're in a really good place to actually execute going forward. Again, there are huge amounts of tools, particularly in the Martech space. Some of them are complete waste of time. Um, I think that if if no one's actually looking back in at what your business does, I think that they they lose a certain amount of credibility um, for me. Um, but yeah, again, I think that. The understanding what good looks like is is number one place to start.
0: So, Gary, one of the things that I'm looking to do as I grow the business is always hiring more marketing people. But the big question in my mind is always what what is it I'm looking for? What skills would I know uh, that would make them make a difference to my business? And if I was um, I've actually got a 16 year old son who says he wants to work in marketing as well. Um, he's really interested in, in digital marketing, especially, and actually, he's really interested in cybersecurity too. But what would be what would be your advice for what what a business owner should be looking for in their marketeers when they're hiring them, uh, especially if they've only got one? Um yeah. and if you're if you're setting out in your career and you're going to be a marketeer, what skills should they be w- looking at the trends? What skills would be worth investing in?
2: So I think that if you've if you've got just one person. I personally hire someone that's got the ability to look at at silo data. So if just that term alone, for me, means that they can create some sort of data relevance. So they're able to to understand, one, understand what's happening, which I think is a really important point for any marketer, um, because it moves away from what I think happens a lot, which is around gut feel. Um, And if you've got the ability to look at silo data, that means you've got the ability to, to, to look at, you know, what's happening in, in different fields, because a lot of the big platforms, they keep their data siloed, because they want you just to consume their their, their platform, which is great business planning from them and marketing from them, uh, but doesn't always help um, business owners. And I think that, that the, yeah, for me, the balance of online and offline activity is super, super keen, um, super critical. I think that So many businesses believe that online data, uh, online marketing is the only digital marketing, the only marketing that works. I think actually that's a a massively flawed uh, methodology. I think that if you, forgive me for stepping out on a tangent, but one of the interesting studies I saw recently was actually that if a homeowner is in their early 20s, they actually still quite enjoy having leaflets through the door. And that's because they're not as used to having kind of spam mail as we as, as an older generation. I'd have to class myself in that generation, are in the sense that it's actually everyone's moved away from leafleting through the door to actually moving online. And actually offline marketing like that can be really effective. Again, what you're trying to do is stay away from where everyone else is is operating because your your message has to get through. And, you know, hence the email and GVPR has done a really good job of reducing spam email, but everyone gets excessive amounts of email and so are less, less, um, less applied to, to actually look at it and take any information in. So yeah, so someone that's able to look at, at silo data, therefore they've got a reflection on what they should do. And um, that would be my first hire. I think some people would rightly say a creative um, would be would be really important. I could definitely see why. Um, for someone starting out in marketing, I'd actually give almost the reverse advice. I think that my advice would be to specialise, unless obviously you know your ambition is to go straight in as a as a um, kind of a senior in a business. And then obviously generalisation is is my advice. But um, yeah, if you're starting out, I would genuinely say to to specialise in a particular platform. And then be able to move on to to different platforms is really is a really good idea because although the platforms are updating their procedures and the way you use them regularly, actually I think that if you can have a good idea or a deep level of understanding that there isn't enough people out there with 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 deep knowledge um, and then being able to you know uh, cross-pollinate I suppose in that kind of sense after that.
1: And Gary, when you say platforms, which platforms are you talking about? Is that
2: the social platforms or other platforms? Yeah, so I think there's there's a wide variety. So definitely the social platforms, uh, Google, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok. You know, all of those platforms have got have captured a lot of attention for a long time. I think that they are they can be ineffective because you get a lot of influencers that will respond to your marketing, opposed to opposed to the mass market or an advocate, as I kind of already said. But particularly if you're doing flash sales or if you're a, a generalized product. Uh, type where you just need market yeah you just need a, a certain share of the market uh market share then 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 they can be really really effective i suppose in that sense apart from that again i think that actually in hand marketing face-to-face marketing still really effective it's going to be obviously a really interesting challenge in 2021 around you know how do we socially interact again after After 2020 and the restrictions and lockdowns that we've had, I think that you'll see a lot of companies grow really fast because they get that right. Particularly the insurance company that I mentioned earlier, um, they're already in planning to how do they have pop up centers. Um, I think that the I know that the high street is changing, but I think that it's changing in the sense that you'll have. And you've seen it with Amazon, for example, having pop up shops where people can go in and view different um, different products. you know, I think that you'll see more of that type of behavior. Again, though, you know, the people used to spend a lot of money on things like Experian and um, and other demographic type data in the B2C world. And and rightly so, understand a good company of some good credibility in the way they've, they've previously worked. I don't think that that's as fit for purpose um, today. I think that you'll see trends of people being able to use that data. Again, a shameless plug, you know, we've got We've got our own uh, demographic mapping uh, tool that can tell you about lookalike audiences or mimicked audiences. I should use the term. And I just again used to spend you know thousands of pounds on these type things, and actually they're tools that don't necessarily cost that that much. In that point, in in 2021, I know that we've been in a difficult period, but I think there is some real big opportunity for people forward in 2021 if you can if you can understand your audience how they want to engage you. Um, so think about things from a buying cycle rather than a sales cycle. I think that there's some yeah, really good opportunity for companies to grow really fast.
0: I think that's great advice, Gary. I'm be interested in looking at your customers and, and the sort of the passion, the trends that you've seen that them that they're picking up on and that they're interested. What are you seeing right now?
2: Uh, so I'm getting a lot of the causal inference work that we do um, with some of our larger clients around measuring the effects of their global sponsorship, those type of things. So again, that's really what they're doing, is they're trying to say, and I think there's been some really good case studies of some really large brands saying we we invested far too heavily in digital for far too long. And that's this last clip attribution type scenario. So people are actually wanting to know the cause and effect. You know, if I if I do some just general brand awareness, what actually is that going to do to my end result? And that end result is a is months maybe a year down the line and you know for larger brands they can they can take that slower look at data and i think that that slower look at data enables people to get a lot more efficient and growth and so that's particularly what i'm seeing from the larger businesses along with automation and Loomlinks. our goal is to work with larger businesses, enterprise-type businesses, while we develop our tool set to enable the SME market. I've spent my career in and out of of different, uh, the mid-market as well as SME. And I honestly think that a lot of these tools can be automated and used by everyone and frankly stop some of the exposure that businesses are being put to. Uh, to buy data because they simply don't have the knowledge uh, to understand that these things should be cheaper or they should be actually readily available on the Internet. And therefore, it's just a skill that you need to do to integrate it. So I know that's, that's one of my passions is to, is to genuinely stop people wasting huge sums of money on on things that are ineffective. Um, and those tool sets are they are coming they're there like i say our connector into dynamics that feed straight out to linkedin you know you're talking hundreds of pounds not thousands you know it cuts out cuts out some people that are charging a lot of money for for services and not necessarily adding much value you know and i think again with seo um you've seen it for a long time you know someone will set up your seo an organization will set up your seo and then not necessarily do anything don't be wrong i don't want to discredit some of the amazing seo companies that are out there that are doing some really good work but Again, yeah, I think there's been a dark art in marketing for a long time, and I think that hopefully data and technology are actually making that a lot cleaner.
0: But certainly make them more accountable as well. Yeah. yeah,
2: and measuring the right type of KPIs. To think that just clicks onto the down onto your website downloads of particular white papers is it's not a KPI that people should be necessarily focused on. They definitely should play a part and a really important part. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually going to be successful. And I think that understanding and 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 the reason why that's a challenge is because those points are are tangible you can actually have a number of people that clicked on your website or downloaded a white paper and we're always looking for that certainty in data but that's not how this works and i suppose again if i add the, another piece of advice in is you have to be comfortable in not being certain in drawing conclusions And I think you can only be comfortable when you've got a source of truth in drawing those conclusions and you've got someone that's able to talk to you with knowledge about actually what it could possibly mean. But understanding how many people, you know, are are engaged in their buying cycle and therefore where you've interacted with them, you know, ultimately it comes down to that one number. How is your sales activity uh, doing? How's your conversions? There's a whole heap of activity that make you really, really successful if you. If you do it in that buying cycle, um, but again, you can't design a buying cycle unless you know the persona of the person you're trying to attract. You know, and so I can understand, and it's certainly right why the market has formed in the way it has around kind of KPIs that sometimes aren't relevant. But I think today that those tools are there. I think the skills are there. They're still in a bit short supply, um, but hence the reason why companies like my like mine in Lumalinks. And others, and there are some credible other companies that do the kind of work that we do out there, are trying to help people understand that. And I think that once that knowledge gets there, it's just going to empower people. And naturally, with anything, the faster you are on that curve, the, the more you're going to um, take or expose yourself to the market. And then eventually everyone catch up and then there's more technology developments.
0: Oh, that's, that's great insight. So just my, my last question, Gary, if you were a, a business owner... What business books would you suggest?
2: Oh, okay, you've put me on the spot there. Uh, Crossing the Chasm. Uh-huh. Why is I that like a good that one? one. Um, I just think it. I think it steps you back into a point of reflection. I think a lot of business is about reflection. I Think it's a great book. Okay. There's, a, there's there's a really interesting book, um, but I just don't think I don't think it's going to be interesting to a lot of people. I'm reading a book called, uh, by Barabasa about bursts, and it talks about um, behavior. And I think if anyone it's an outside read. If you want something that's a bit out there, um, look up an author called Barabasa and the book's called Bursts. Talks to you about human behavior and how activity happens. I think that, yeah, if you want a different stimulus to the main, it's a it's a fascinating read.
0: Oh, I think it's great. <laughs> important. In fact, my, my son who I mentioned is interested in marketing, he has to pick a fourth A-level. So I said, you need to do psychology if you're interested oh, in yeah. marketing.
2: <laughs> definitely. definitely. I think that's a I think it's great advice. I think that there's there's just so much, and you know, some of the things that I've seen, you can make huge steps in really small times. And I'm not saying that they're always obvious, you know, but yeah, I think that if you can if you can understand that, you've got you've got them up you know, in that sense, and that can work for a big Facebook or it can work for a small woodsmith house. You know, there's lots. It's just understanding where what good looks like for you. And I think once you understand what that is and it's supported by data, you know, I think that the world's your waste.
1: That's all great. So um, I've certainly learned a lot and uh, I've got uh, s- some notes here as to some of the, the topics that you've mentioned I want to follow up myself. So that was great, Gary. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us today. And for anyone listening that
0: would like to hear more about future podcasts coming up, you can go to wwwcloud 9 forward slash podcasts. So goodbye for now and see you next time. Thanks very much. Goodbye.